You're listening to episode 41 of the Sustainable Minimalist Podcast. You are listening to the Sustainable Minimalist Podcast, a show about living simply and sustainably with your family. Here's your host, Stephanie Safarian. Hi there. Thanks for joining me. Today, I'm speaking with Janine Adams. She's a certified professional organizer who's helped countless clients declutter and organize their living spaces. Now, what I love about Janine is that she keeps the big picture in mind. It's not just about that hamster wheel of decluttering, then purchasing, then decluttering what you purchased and purchasing again. For Janine, and for many of you, and certainly for me, it's about creating an organized home for lasting peace of mind. Janine's here today to tell us how to make our homes sanctuaries as opposed to stressors. On today's episode, Janine is going to give lots of decluttering first steps for those of us who are just overwhelmed by the state of our living spaces. She's also created a free printable with the expert tips that she herself guides her clients through that we don't get to touch on in today's episode. Now, remember, Janine's an expert. She does this for a living. So if you feel inspired by Janine's wisdom today and are ready to tackle some of the problem areas in your home, get this week's freebie first. You can find it at mamaminimalist.com forward slash zero four one. M-A-M-A-Minimalist.com forward slash zero four one. Let's get right into the interview. Enjoy. Hi, Janine. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you? Hi, Stephanie. I am great, and I'm so happy to be talking with you this morning. Same. I love talking with fellow passionate declutterers and organizers, so I'm so happy you've come on. Why don't we start by you telling us all about yourself? I am a professional organizer. I started Peace of Mind Organizing in 2005, uh, which makes me somewhat of a veteran organizer because it's a kind of industry where there were certainly plenty of organizers in 2005, but many people have joined since. Um, and I started it after working 10 years as a freelance writer. I wrote books and magazine articles and newspaper articles about pets specifically. So I, I'm, a, I'm a bit of an expert about dogs in particular. So I grew up in the Pacific Northwest, and I went to college in Massachusetts, and I now live in the Midwest in St. Louis uh, for the last going on 30 years. Um, and I've been married 28 years. My husband, Barry, and I, we don't have kids, but we've had a succession of standard poodles over the last um, 25 years or so. Um, and when I talk to people about myself, especially if I'm giving a talk about organizing, I always reveal that even though I'm a professional organizer and I'm a naturally organized person, I'm also a naturally messy person. So I have a difficulty putting stuff away, for example, and things have gotten way better. But that's my natural inclination. And I think that my clients appreciate that I reveal that and it gives me some empathy with what they're going through because I've certainly had my struggles over the decades. Um, And then the last thing I'll mention is that... uh, This year, I started a podcast with my friend Shannon Wilkinson, who's an amazing life coach, and uh, it's called Getting to Good Enough, and we talk about overcoming perfectionism so you can do more of what you love. So these days, I'm all about perfectionism and good enough. I will absolutely link to your podcast in this week's show notes, but I'd love to chat a little bit about what you do as a professional organizer. When you go into a home for the first time, what do you do first? 
Well, so in my business, the way it's evolved, I am working with clients almost exclusively by bringing in organizing teams um, so that we can affect sort of swift and dramatic change. And so the first visit I have with a client is always or almost always um, a visit in which I'm looking over the situation with the purpose of learning their goals and then giving them an estimate for what I think it will take to achieve their goals. So these first visits are always about talking about their goals, their vision for their space, why they called me in, why now? And then, you know, we get into questions about how quickly they make decisions or how quickly they think they make decisions, how they feel about letting stuff go. And um, then I get to know them a little bit and explain the process. So that may not answer your question because maybe you're more interested in what we do in the second visit when we're actually coming in to do organizing. Yes, I am. But I just want to backtrack one quick second and talk Mm -hmm. about the vision. Mm -hmm. I've talked to a lot of organizers who prescribe to different organizing and decluttering theories. One thing that all of these people have in common is the importance of having a vision. Why on earth is that vision so important? Well, it's hard to work toward a goal if you don't know what you're working toward, first of all. And secondly, I think reflecting on what they're after, the real reason for this effort is really important because the effort is challenging for a lot of people. It can be expensive um, and it helps you keep your eye on the prize if you know the prize. But here's the other secret uh, to having a vision for your space when it comes to decluttering and organizing. It can really inform your decisions about what to keep and what to let go of. So I will maybe work with a client, let's say, who has an abundance of pots and pans and their vision for their space is to have a an organized kitchen where they can easily grab the implement that they're after. And I'll, if they want to keep what look to me like identical pots and pans, five of them, I might say, well, just keeping this item uh, contribute to your vision for your space. And that usually will do the trick in, let, in, in helping them let it go and feel good about letting it go. The more detailed the vision, the perhaps easier the decluttering process will go. Is that right? Yeah, I don't know that the vision has to be necessarily detailed. It can be quite general. Like I want to, I want a warm and inviting home where people can drop in on a moment's notice. Or I want an efficient home where I can get out of the house without stress. Um, So it doesn't have to be super detailed. It just needs to be. (laughs) There needs to be uh, something that you can get your arms around. It's not a nebulous. I just want life better. Got it. So let's circle towards that second visit. What on earth do you do during that second visit? (laughs) Well, during the estimate, I create a plan in the process of what I email them is, I think it's going to take this many sessions and this many organizers and this much time. And during the first session, I will work on this. And during the second session, we'll work on that and so forth. It may just be one session, but we have a plan in mind for what we're going to, what space we'll work in. And then like yesterday is a good example. I um, was the first of a proposed four sessions. And I knew that our plan was to work in the, the kitchen, living room and dining room. But the first thing we did was Give, since I knew we were going to address the whole house, I brought the team in and gave them a tour of all the spaces. So they will have seen the base. They have seen the basement and the garage, for example. So they sort of know what's coming and what available storage spaces there are. And then I divided them up into rooms and we started sorting. So in the kitchen, for example, um, my team members brought out 
the items uh, out of the kitchen cabinets and drawers and sorted them. So then when a certain area was sorted, the client came in and she saw that she had five pizza cutters. This would be an example for my own kitchen. <laughs> and um, she let go of, I don't know, let's say three pizza cutters and felt she needed to keep two. But seeing all five of them together made it a lot easier to let go of the excess. So we sort, we take the client through the decisions. We take immediately take away those things she doesn't want to keep. And that's then we're left with what she does want to keep. And we organize what she wants to keep after having spoken with her about how she uses her kitchen so that it's organized in a way that works for her. You've been a professional organizer for 13 years. What are the most common problems your clients have and how do you facilitate a solution? Well, I think the one thing all of my clients have in common, I mean, because you can imagine my clients are very, all individuals and have there's a wide variety of experiences and situations. But the one thing they have in common is they feel overwhelmed. And by the time anybody calls my company in, they're overwhelmed. And so um, that might be because they're what we call situationally disorganized, meaning that something has changed in their lives that has caused uh, their organizing systems to fail. And then clutter is built up or disorganization is set in. Um, and they feel overwhelmed when it comes to decluttering. Um, we also work with clients who are what we call chronically disorganized. And those folks are certainly overwhelmed as well. And in their case, they may never have been able to put into place systems that have worked for them. And that's it's really challenging for people who are uh, chronically disorganized because they tend to be wired differently. And organizing systems tend to be created you know, stuff that you can buy off the shelf tends to be created by organized people for organized people. And if you're chronically disorganized, it's like fitting a square peg into a round hole. So what we try to do after we declutter for them is is create systems that work with how they think. And typically, as a total generalization, that means creating very broad categories and easy to use um, organizing systems that so they don't get bogged down in the details. Um, so overwhelm is the underlying commonality. And um, what we then do is what, what uh, everyone sh- can do when they feel overwhelmed, which is to break this overwhelming project down into small components, manageable components. I wanted to dive a little bit deeper into the woes of the chronically disorganized. And I'm wondering if you have any other solutions for those people. You mentioned the broad categories. Maybe you could discuss those broad categories a little more for listeners who might characterize themselves as chronically disorganized. Sure. So first, let me start by saying, I I think for many chronically disorganized individuals have a propensity to want to hang on to stuff. That's, you know, maybe it's a chicken and an egg situation. They have so much stuff, they can't get it organized, or they keep so much stuff because they're chronically disorganized. But uh, in general, letting go of excess is the answer for everything in my work, I believe. <laughs> I've yet to meet a client. I've walked into plenty of homes that look nicer than mine in terms of how well organized they looked, but I always know there's somewhere in there, there's a problem. Otherwise, I wouldn't be there. I mean, the solution to the problem usually involves letting go of stuff. So I'm, I, I'm a, I, w- I don't call myself a minimalist, but I'm a big believer in less is more. Um, and certainly for people 
who are challenged by chronic disorganization. I think that's the case. Um, but in terms of sort of nitty gritty tips on on how to how people who have chronic disorganization can get organized, broad categories like, for example, paper. Let's say uh, many of my clients have a lot of paper overload. And, and that's because it's so easy to get behind on paper and it's so time consuming to deal with it. And when I think about paper, I think most people tend to hang on to more paper than we need to because so much information is available online. So for example, if you go paperless with your bills and never have a paper version of your bills, knowing that you can just go to the creditor's website and log in and get the information, that alleviates a huge problem right there. But if you keep your bills, which some people want to do, they want to get paper bills and they want to um, file them away, then it's easier to file into broad categories than it is to file into really detailed categories. Because if you have a whole lot of categories, it just takes more time. And and sometimes you end up with duplicates because maybe you filed that uh, car insurance premium under car or under insurance or under auto. Um, So I think that you could even have a file that just says insurance without subdividing the various types of insurance. And you need to find it, which is not that often, because that's the thing about the stuff we file away in typical, our typical daily life. We don't actually ever look at the stuff. Then you just have to thumb through the various insurances and to find the right one. But when it comes to paid bills, that's my big thing. I, I suggest that people consider not having them delivered in the first place. And if they do, uh, letting go of them as soon as the bill is paid, unless it's tax related. But if they don't want to do that, rather than filing them by creditor, like credit card, electric company, um, auto loan, file them by month. So if you paid the bills today, you would put those paid bills in October all together, because you know what, you're not going to look at them. And if you did, you could still pull them out. If you needed to find a particular bill for the full year, you could, in a few seconds, pull the 12 out. And what I suggest you do is keep a backlog, again, these are for non-tax related documents, of no more than a year, so that you can just rotate it through. So let's say you've been doing this for a year. When you go to put October in, after you paid your bills, you take October 2017 out and shred it without looking at it. Does that make sense? Then you don't get files that just bulge. It's a way to sort of keep your uh, an ongoing archive that's not too hefty. Hmm. I love that. I would love to switch gears and talk about the serenity that an organized home gives its residents. Right? Nobody says they want a messy home. Everybody wants a clean, organized, stress-free living environment. What is it about an organized space that creates that peace of mind, do you think? So when you have an organized space, you can find what you want when you need it, right? So you just have less stress. Life, you put your hands on something that you don't spend time in mind space looking for it. When you have an organized space, you can get out of the house without stress. Like I can put my hands on my keys because I have a place where my keys get put every time I walk in the door. Ah, that's just easy, right? You can pay your bills on time because you can find them. And you can avoid late penalties and higher interest rates because you're paying your bills on time. 
Um, you can keep your home maintained more easily. I have had clients who, whose furnaces, for example, don't get regularly serviced because there's so much clutter in the basement. They embarrassed to bring the, the repair or the uh, maintenance guy in. Um, basically you can, you know, think about getting your kitchen renovated because you don't have a giant decluttering project ahead of you before you renovate it. And you can move. To me, this is huge. I work a lot with people who are moving and sometimes it's just a huge production because they have so much decluttering they have to do prior to getting ready to move. But if you keep your house maintained, if you keep your clutter to a minimum, if your dream house comes on the market, you can actually conceive of getting of buying it and selling your home. So to me, being organized not only gives you peace of mind, it gives you freedom. Hmm. And time. It gives you the gift of free yeah. time, right? Yeah. On this podcast, we often talk a lot about how the size of your home often dictates the amount of stuff you have, right? So if you have a large home, we often fill it with furniture and stuff. What do you say to clients who have trouble letting go of their excesses? Well, well, first of all, I, I always say clutter isn't a problem unless it's a problem, right? So typically, I don't get invited into homes where clutter isn't a problem. But if clutter is a problem and their vision for their space is to be able to put everything away and that, which is what I hear a lot of, I want a place for everything and everything in its place. And they're keeping more than they can store. Then the kinds of questions that I ask, you know, if we start out by asking, you know, we've sorted stuff out, right? So now we're looking at individual uh, items. You know, do you love it? Do you use it? Does keeping this item contribute to your vision for your space? If they can't say yes to those questions, but they still want to keep it, <laughs> then I push a little further and I'll say, um, "What? how likely is it that you will need this item? And if you do need it, will you be able to find it? Because that's one of the problems of keeping too much, right? Is that you can't and find it when you need it and then you buy another, which is a self-perpetuating cycle. And then I'll say, how likely is that thing to happen? Um, sometimes that is enough to have them let stuff go. But the three areas that I get a lot of pushback on are, I can't let that go. It was a gift is one of them, right? People have a really hard time letting go of stuff that was given to them, even if the person is dead or alive. And again, if clutter is a problem, I'll say things like, would the person who gave this to you want you to keep it knowing that it's causing stress for you? Or I'll say, you have my permission to let it go. And, um, and, or I'll say, is there somebody in your family that might like this? Or, so, or maybe it's a mutual um, friend who knows the giver of the gift. And sometimes just acknowledging that the gift isn't being respected if it's residing in your basement and that you're doing more for the gift giver by giving it to somebody by donating it and giving it to somebody who will use it. Sometimes that will help. Um, and then the other two pushback areas I get are that it was expensive. I can't let it go. It was, I paid a lot for that. And if I always say, if you're not using it or you don't love it, then keeping it only adds to the cost of 
of it, right? Because you have to clean it or you have to manage it or you might be tripping over it and the money is spent. So the only way you're going to get any of the money back is if you sell it or give it away and get a tax deduction. And then the third, um, the third thing I hear is, but I might need it someday. And uh, I then will say, again, how likely is it that you'll need it? Will you be able to find it? Could you get another one? And keep and what and the bottom line is keeping stuff that you don't need or love has a cost associated with it, especially for people who are dealing with clutter. So nothing, it's not free to keep something, even if you think you have space for it, because letting go of that stuff and having empty space is so valuable to one's psyche and for most people, in my opinion. So there's always a cost to keep a cost associated with keeping excess. Your comments on clients saying something's expensive, so they feel obligated to keep it, really stresses for me the importance of introspection before purchases, before both big purchases and small purchases, to decide, is this a want? Is this a need? Can you do without it? Could you repurpose something else? Can you borrow from a friend before making that expensive monetary purchase? Because you're right, by holding on to things, whether they cost a lot or cost a little, that you don't truly need and don't truly love, they're costing you in other ways, such as maintaining it, worrying about it. You know, often we worry about expensive things. We want to keep them nice because we spent a lot of money on them. So what what are these items costing you? I love that. It makes me think about some of the things in my house that I'm maybe keeping simply because they cost me money. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there's an emotional cost to keeping things just because they cost a lot. To me, if you're if you have a very expensive dress, designer dress hanging in your closet that doesn't fit anymore or you just never liked it. Um, that's just mocking you when you look in your closet. It's not helping you. So if you can let it go uh, and sell it or give it away, then you don't have that emotional reminder of an, a, a, an expenditure that wasn't a good one. Do you have any tips for helping people stay organized and on top of the clutter once they're already organized? Have less stuff, first of all. Just keep going with that. You've decluttered and be mindful in what you bring into the house because the, the clutter has two components, right? It's the whether or not you can let go of stuff, but it's also what you're bringing in. So I always suggest that people shop mindfully and they think about the same kinds of questions they're asking in the decluttering process before they make a purchase. You know, do, do I love this? Will I use it? Do I have room to store it? And does purchasing this item contribute to my vision for my space? So that's one thing. And then the other thing is once you've decluttered and you've assigned a place for everything, then the key is creating a habit of putting stuff away. So that rather than waiting for things to get cluttery again and then putting stuff away, actually try to do it on a daily basis. I think a daily habit of putting stuff away that that you've gotten out during the day is in incredibly helpful or also a habit of putting away your purchases immediately a habit of putting away your laundry after it's done you know it's not done until it's actually put away Um, those kinds of habits make staying organized a lot easier you know you're talking to somebody who is naturally messy right so it's taken me a long time to create a habit 
of, for example, clearing off my work desk at the end of each day. And I've gone back and forth on it. Right now I'm in a clear desktop mode, which is fabulous because when I sit down to work in the morning, I can get right to work um, because my desk isn't covered with paper or, you know, empty coffee cups or whatever. And, And the same goes with your kitchen. Getting up in the morning and having a clear countertop is such a better way to start the day than getting up and dealing with dirty dishes or what have you. So my favorite habit that I have in my life, and I've had it for decades now, is we run the dishwasher every night. Um, My husband runs it before bed. I empty it in the morning. And that means there's always a place to put dirty dishes. And it's just made life better. And it's really an ingrained habit. So it happens without thinking. Mm. Uh, Ingrained habit my family has that has really kind of transformed the way we view our house and how we keep it clean is we do 10 minute cleanup every night after dinner. I have an 18 month old, so she doesn't participate, but the four year old participates, my husband participates and I participate. We set the timer and we clean up for 10 straight minutes. My daughter usually takes the playroom. I usually take the kitchen. My husband usually does the miscellaneous stuff like bringing up the laundry, whatever. Just the routine of it has really cut into the amount of work that we have to do because we're doing it every night. So that's 70 minutes a week of maintenance that we do on our home. And it has just really transformed our living space. So if that can help any listeners, there you go. That is, oh, I just love hearing that. That is brilliant. And there's so many great things about it. I mean, using a timer is so helpful for everyone, not just kids. Um, setting those time limits allows you to get started on things. So, And um, that's just great. I love that you're doing it every day. So there's only one day's worth of buildup. That's the key, right? That's how you, if you have a place for everything, if you put everything away in uh, every day, then it doesn't, shouldn't, it doesn't take too long. And um, it also isn't as much drudgery. I love that it's a family activity. I love that you're teaching your child and soon your children to do this. I mean, to me, that's such a life lesson they're going to take into their entire lives. They'll have the cleanest college dorm rooms around. I mean, it's just great. Congratulations. Thank you. And I am so happy that a professional organizer uh, likes my little, my little habit. Absolutely. I'm going to be sharing that with clients all the time. I just think that's fantastic. Janine, where can my listeners find more of you? Well, I, um, on my website, which is peaceofmindorganizing.com, I have a blog there. I try to blog twice a week. Um, so there's usually stuff to read. Um, I also have a genealogy blog. If people are interested in genealogy, that's called organizeyourfamilyhistory.com. Um, and I have my podcast, Getting to Good Enough. And that website for that is getting to good enough.com. And I'm on uh, Facebook with uh, the, our, my Facebook page is peace of mind organizing. I will, of course, link to all of these things. I just want to say as a side note, you are a jack of all trades. <laughs> How do you find the time for all these things? <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your expertise and your wisdom. I so appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. I'm del- it was really fun talking with you. And I honestly, now your 10 minutes a day thing is like totally energized me. I think that's just amazing. I so hope you enjoyed that interview with Janine Adams. Access this week's show notes and grab Janine's free printable with her expert tips 
at mamaminimalist.com forward slash zero four one. On next week's show, we are identifying the most toxic cleaning products in our homes, and then we're replacing them with eco-friendly solutions. I'll see you then. Take care. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.